going to be in Joshua chapter 9 this morning. Be on guard. Be on guard. So Pastor Mike brought us up last week to the place where the, the nation of Israel defeated Ai. Remember they had a setback with Achan who sinned against God and they had to regroup. They had to take it before God. And we know that God allowed them to take the spoils of war. And so here we are now, Joshua 8, 30 and 35, as Pastor Mike ended last week, Joshua renews his commitment. He have a time of worship with the nation of Israel to God. And now they're ready to continue on to their conquest of taking the nation, taking the, the, the nation of Israel into the promised land. Now, like, like myself, if you look at your Bible, chapter 9, it has a description, right? And what's it say? It says the Gibeonite deception. And so that's going to be our message this morning. We're going to talk about this particular deception in Joshua chapter 9. How many of you in here, and all of our hands should be raised, have been deceived at some point in your life? Really? You have? Yes, all of us have been. I can remember in elementary school, I loved military stuff, I loved, I loved outdoor things, and when this movie came out, all of us guys wanted to be like John Rambo. Remember John Rambo? Sylvester Stallone? And what was big about this movie was his knife. It was called the Rambo knife. You see it holding in its hand. And I wanted that knife. That's not the knife, okay? That's the knockoff knife. Because my dad and mom said, you are not getting a machete to run around the streets of Lancaster with. Okay? So this was the next best thing. And I seen this. Young people get this. There was these things called advertisements that would be in magazines. That we could order things instead of Amazon or, or the internet today. And so this was a knife. And guess how much this knife cost? Five ninety nine. So those who know anything about knives or equipment, $5.99 for a knife means it's a piece of junk. But being a 10, 11-year-old boy, I said, Dad, I want that. Here's my six bucks. I want that knife. So my brother and I sent our money away, and we were waiting in the mail. We were waiting for that box to come, and it came. And we're like, yeah, we are going to be Rambo out in the streets of Lancaster doing no, who knows what. But we got that. We got the, We see how the compass came off the top of the knife there. And all this stuff, the matches, the, the fishing hooks. Don't know when I was going to use that. But all those things, the sharpening stone. Got that thing out. Went to cut my first rope. I couldn't even cut butter with it. It was, it was dull. Jay, I told you. I, I know. Guess what? We were deceived. And for, for many of us, we were deceived in maybe things that we bought. And it is not fun when you admit, yeah, I got duped. I got duped. So here we are in our story. They are getting ready to be deceived. And when we get deceived, we learn our lesson. Right? We hope we learn our lesson. Or at times when we go through those deceptions, we can help other people as well. They cannot be deceived, or when they're deceived, they can see the light of where they need to go at the end of the tunnel. So let's continue in our story this morning, Joshua chapter 9. We're going to be in verses 1 through 7, but we're going to look at verses 1 and 2 this morning to get us into this story. 
Verse number 1, chapter 9. As soon as all the kings were beyond the Jordan in the hill country, and in the lowland along the coast of the great sea towards Lebanon, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Boy, that's a list of guys and gals, isn't it? Heard of this, they gathered together at once to fight against Joshua and Israel. So let's just stop there and here's what you have. Here's what you have. Israel just conquered Jericho. They just conquered Ai. And now they're going to the cities that are on their map. And they're going to take them out. These people, these nations, these cities knew it was coming. And what, did they, what they did, we would have done. They came together as a type of coalition or we call it confederacy. Stand up against the nation of Israel. They just heard what happened at Jericho. They just heard what happened at Ai. And guess what? They knew that they were next. They knew their city was going to be overtaken by Israel. And so as we come into the story, we see the picture of the enemy here and what they need to do to defeat Israel. See, the people of the inhabitants of God's occupied land, they were opposed to Israel's God. They were opposed to his will. They were opposed to his plan. They were opposed to his people. And they were opposed to the future God had for his people to inhabit their land. The nations were out to stop Israel and stop their God. And we would have done it likely the same thing. Seeing a city being destroyed, knowing that we were the next dot on the map that would be let go or be killed. However, there was this group of individuals, and they were going to be labeled under the first two verses. We call them the Gibeonites, but they would fall under the Hivites. And they had another plan. They were like... You know, at this plan, you know, I like to join this coalition, but we kind of know what the end game is. So we have a plan B. And so the Gibeonites came up with this particular plan to deceive and the nation of Israel. Look at verse 3. But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and to Ai, they on their part acted with cunning. That word there in Hebrew means they were crafty. They were shrewd. And they went and made ready provisions and took worn-out sacks for their donkeys and swineskins, worn out and torn and mended, with worn-out patched sandals on their feet. Trying to, trying to think how you patch a sandal, but we'll, we'll move on. And worn-out clothes. And all the provisions were dry and crumbly. They went to Joshua in the camp of Gilgal and said to him, to the men of Israel, we have come from a distant country, so now make a covenant with us. Verse 7, but the men of Israel said to the Hivites, perhaps you live among us. Yeah, that's right, guys. Then how can we make a covenant with you? We need to understand the law of Moses here and understand when John promised what God, what God told Moses to do. Two things with people, two types of people that he had to deal with. One, the inhabitants of the land. When they ran into individuals who inhabited this land, they were to destroy, they were to kill them. Okay, understand. That's what God told Moses to do when they went to the problem. This is your land, you take them, you kill them, you annihilate. That's what they did with Ai, that's what they did with Jericho. The second group of people that they came up against with were foreigners or sojourners and scripture tells us in Deuteronomy that they could make peace with them they could come live among them and be part of the Israeli nation we see that an example when we went through Ruth Ruth came from Moab 
came into the town of Bethlehem with Naomi. And if we remember when they were, when they were um, taking the fields and they were seeing the produce, God told the nation of Israel, let the, let the corners of the fields be left for the foreigners and sojourners. Why? Because they were part of Israel, but they were left with those remaining, the food that was left for them to, to live on. And so those type of people they can make peace with. So the Gibeonites knew, they knew, right here in this verse, listen, hey, make a covenant with us. We're from a distant land. Verse 8, and they said to Joshua, we are your servants. Do whatever, hey, we'll be your servants. Make a covenant with us. We're from a distant land. And Joshua said, who are you and where did you come from? Again, they responded, they are from a distant country, from your servants have come. Because of the name of the Lord your God, we have heard the report of him and all that he did in Egypt. And all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, the Sion, the king of Hezbah, and to Og, the king of Bashan, who lived in Ashtaroth. So our elders and all the inhabitants of the country said to us, take provisions in your hand for the journey and go to meet them and say to them, we are your servants, come now make with us. This was a what? It was a lie. It was a deception. They were not from a country. They were, this had, every, everything they said was a straight up lie. So some fun facts about Gibeon. Gibeon was not a distant land. Actually, from the place where the nation of Israel was, it was 25, 25 miles away from Ai. They are a neighboring town. Number two, notice what they said. We heard what you did where? In Egypt? How many years ago was that? Forty years ago. And what you did with the king Sion and Ah? Forty years ago. They were very careful not to say what just happened to Jericho and Ai. You say, why, why is that interesting? Because in that time... News did not travel that fast to where individuals in a distant country would hear of what happened to Ai and Jericho that quick. They were careful what they said. Hey, we remember what you did, what, what God did in Egypt and with the kings. So they were, they were very, very, very shrewd. You, you ever have an, an opportunity in, when you were, you're deceiving someone? I mean, how many of us remember a time where you tried to deceive someone? Come on, hands up. All of us, whether when we're younger, with our parents, and how that deception just turned upside down because it ends up being seen. Going back to a music illustration, again, my, my parents were pretty strict in the music I listened to. I can remember one time my dad borrowed my car because I had good gas mileage. I took his car, and he had a better stereo system, so I took all my forbidden tapes, remember the tapes, and I hit them and got in my car and I was jamming out. So I get back, park my dad's, make sure everything's right, the deception started, tape, boop, 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 Christian radio station, turn it back on, you know, we're good to go, get out, boom, go in for the night, wake up the next morning, I'm thinking through my day, I'm like, I get my car, looking for my Bon Jovi's tape, and guess what happened? I never ejected it out of my tape player, my dad's car. So I come down and said, hey, Dad, hey, Mom, where's Dad? Oh, he's out getting ready in the car, ready to go to work. Do not start the car. And as soon as he started the car, what did I hear? Oh, living on a prayer. You know, and that is, I, I needed to live on many prayers that day from my dad. See, my deception turned upside down. And isn't, that, isn't that interesting? Every time we try to deceive, what happens? 
You always get caught. We always get caught. And so I want us to see three applications this morning to the story of deception. First application this morning is this. Deception. It awakens our pride. Satan awakens our pride when we are being deceived. Look what the Gibeonites did here. What did they tell the nation of Israel? They said, from a distant country, your servants have come because of the name of the Lord your God. For we have heard a report of him and all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan. What were they doing here? They were bypassing them. They say, listen, we are really the Gibeonites. We're trying to deceive you. Hey, we remember what you did, what God did here. Remember what they, and Israel's like, yeah, yeah, look where we we came here. Yep, God got us through here. Your pride. When Satan deceives you, he makes you think everything's fine, right? Think about it. In your life, you're doing great spiritually. You're on the mountaintop. Hey, hey, Jason. Hey, Max. Hey, Andrew. Everything's good. Listen, I, you're doing great having your devotions and praying. But yeah, you, you, you can do this. It's okay. It, like, look, look, how, look how proud God is. You're doing great. But you can still. And what do we do? Yeah, I have been doing pretty good. Yeah, I, I guess it wouldn't be too big. What's Satan doing? He is attacking our pride. He's getting where he knows he can get us at our pride. It awakens our pride. When Satan does that, he gets us to fall. Remember, that every time that you have fallen into sin, if you have made a mistake, you think about the temptation, you think about the time you acted, guess what? The first thing you're going to look at, yep, that was my pride. He attacked my pride. He awakened my pride. Peter tells the Christians in 1 Peter 5, 8, he says this, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. You understand that. And it's not, it's when we are at the top of our game where Satan comes at us because he wants every single believer to fall. He wants every single believer to be destroyed. You understand the enemy that we're up against. Number two, we see deception. It arouses our eyes. Look what happened here in verses 12 and 15. Here's what the Gibeonites told the nation of Israel. Here is our bread, they said. It was still warm when we took it from our houses as our food for the journey on the day. We set out to come to you, but now behold, it is dry and crumbly. Lie, lie. These wineskins were new when they were filled, and behold, they, were have, they have burst. And these garments and sandals of our men were worn out from the very long journey. See, the nation of Israel is seeing. They're looking at the appearance. It makes sense to them. Look at verse 14. Underline verse 14. This is the key verse for chapter 9. So the men took some of their provisions. And so when we, when we interpret that part, they tested out. They were just testing the bread to make sure what they were saying was true. But here's the big part. But did not seek counsel or did not ask counsel from the Lord. Don't you think that just days, maybe a week prior, Joshua was in this position with Ai. Remember the story? They came off a great victory at Jericho, and Joshua was like, all right, we're on a, go, we're on a roll here, let's do it. And he, without consulting God, sent 3,000 men, and they, 36 of them got killed. Because he didn't 
ask and counsel from God. Here they are again, doing everything logically. It makes sense, but they failed to talk to God. The leaders they took, they checked. They made a decision based on what they seen, based on the logic of the situation, without asking guidance from the Lord. Think about in our life. Everything looks good, doesn't it? Here, the leaders tasted the goods. They checked out their clothes. They seen it for themselves. And they went ahead, and they're going to make a covenant that will be a long-lasting covenant with the people of Gibeah. See, we can see how Israel got into this situation. They were not seeking God at this moment. See, aren't we like Israel at times? Actually, maybe for some of us, it's this week. We failed to ask guidance from God. We failed to step up, and we failed to just pray. He, look, look at a, a, a very famous passage of Scripture that we probably all put the memory. Look at Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. I think for some of us, from a theological perspective, we, we, we memorize that verse, we say this verse, and we believe it. Yep, in all of our ways. But I think practically, here's how we interpret this verse. And just see if I'm right, because I read this, I'm like, yep, I do this. I think sometimes we read, instead of all of your ways acknowledge him, in some of our ways we acknowledge him. In most of our ways, we acknowledge him. In the majority of our ways, we acknowledge him. And in a lot of our ways, we acknowledge him. In our, the issues of our family, our finances, our work, relationships, shopping, whatever it is, all of our ways. All. Now, stop at verse 6. Look at verse 7. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. How about us? You don't, you don't have to answer this. This is rhetorical, but I want you to think, draw yourself. Do you trust God in all of your ways? All. Not some, not a lot, not a majority, but all. I think sometimes we think that God is real busy and we think, have things together and God has blessed us. Okay, God, I got this problem here. You go ahead and you handle those individuals that need a lot of attention, a lot of help. I got this covered, and we don't have it covered, because that's exactly when Satan comes and deceives us in all our ways. Joshua and the nation of Israel, they were taking on their own logic, making sense. Oh, yep, they're foreigners. Look at what they're wearing. Yep, they're from a distant country without saying, God, what's your thoughts on these guys here? And they got themselves in a little bit of trouble. So let's talk about this covenant. So the nation of Israel, again, per Moses, when they ran into individuals from a distant country, they could make peace with them and they could be brought into the nation of Israel as part of their, 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 their group, their nation. Making this covenant, this was a, long, this was a lifelong commitment to this people. This commitment could not be retracted. They had to fulfill this as a nation of Israel. An example of that is 2 Samuel 21. And we won't go there. Just, just write this down here in your notes if you're taking notes. During the reign of Saul, Saul killed a group of Gibeonites. 
And during the reign of David, when David came onto the picture, there was a famine in the land. And David did the thing he should have done as a king. God, why is this happening? God, what's going on? Why is there a famine in the land? And God tells David, it's because Saul has blood guilt on his hand from killing Gibeonites. So this was hundreds of years after Joshua. And here, the nation of Israel is suffering a consequence of famine because they broke this covenant. So this covenant here that Joshua made was a big deal. So Israel had to keep this bargain. Or as verse 20 says, God's wrath would be upon them. God upon them. You see, deception is always attractive through our eye gate. It arouses, our, it awakens our eyes. It looks good. And as believers, just like Joshua, it looks good, so it must be good. And the answer to that is what? No, that's not the case. Look what Paul told the church in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Verses 14 and 15, he says this about Satan. He says, and no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond with their deeds. There's one thing we need to understand, church, is this. We are in a spiritual warfare. Amen? We're in a spiritual warfare, and Satan uses deceptiveness as his primary tactic. He is able to transform to an angel of light. Remember his origin? Who was he? He was what? He was Lucifer, the most highest created being of protecting God's glory. He was a beautiful created being. And Paul tells us here he was an angel of light. So isn't it not surprising, as the verse says, that he can use ministers and individuals who are personable, warm, and witty to distort the truth and deceive us as his people, can he? So for the moments that we have left, I'd like for us now just to put a pause on our story. So our story is the Gibeonites have come. They've deceived the nation of Israel. Joshua is making a covenant with them. So I thought that as before we finish this story out in chapter 9, I'd like to talk about some deceptions that we are encountering as a culture, as we are encountering as a church. Just three of them that we need to be very, very careful as a church when we see the deception of Satan coming in this form. We're going to talk about three of them this morning, and then we'll push play, and we'll finish our story in Joshua. But I want to be very, very pertinent to, to think about some deceptions we are encountering here in our world. The first one I've seen, young people listen up to me here. There's, a, there's, a, there's this issue that's happening in our culture. It's called identity crisis. Identity crisis. People don't know who they are. They don't know who God made them to be. They want to be a girl, want to be a guy. And we say as a culture, hey, it's all good. It's all right. That's how they feel. Church, understand this. This deception is killing young people. I don't, sometimes we put our head in the sand. We're not involved in our communities. This stuff is happening in our backyard. 
unsaved individuals, people don't know Jesus. Yes, they don't know who, what Jesus has done for them, but we can still encourage what God, God made them who they are. Church, I sat in a living room three weekends ago with a family for four hours because their 18-year-old daughter lost their life. And talking to the parents, this was the issue. And as I sat and teared and mourned with them, I was angry because of Satan, because he is getting into people's minds stuff that's deceiving. It's not true. And church, we need to wake up, and we need to know what God says. We can proclaim this stuff and encourage each other, encourage people that don't know Jesus. This is, this is who you are. This is who God made you to be. Do we get angry when we see this stuff happening, and we get mad at Satan and say, this stuff drives me nuts? What can I do? What can we do as a church? What can we do as a family to proclaim the truth of God? So I turn to Psalms 139, and I highlight this verse, this passage. Again, we probably put this to memory. Here is what the psalmist says, what God has done for us at our birth. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me when they were none, were yet there none of them. You see words highlighted, and we don't have time to go through these words, but if you want to do a word study, you want to look at the original language of these words, you will come out of that study saying one word, wow, this is what God made me to be. Look, this is some of those words. I am fearfully, wonderfully made. He knitted me. He formed me. He intricately. Understand this, church. There is no person that has ever walked the face of this earth that God made that was a mistake. I don't think sometimes as Christians we believe that. Well, what about the individuals that are deformed? For God's glory. He made them that way. You, when, we, when you leave this verse, he, think of it intricately. It's that idea that he was putting everything, how he wanted it, into a, a, a human being, into the DNA. And we got young people in our communities that are saying, I just don't want to live anymore because I feel worthless. Church, this is an issue. This is a deception that has crept into our society. If there's, any, if there's one verse, it's this verse right here that we can say, man, you know, listen, this is what God made you to be. You are who you're supposed to be because God has you there. He made you exactly how you are. And we can encourage people and we can lift people who have that discouragement or are struggling with that problem. Do you understand, church? Do you understand that God made you who you are? Every person, there's no mistake. No matter of our feelings, because our feelings are what? They can be deceiving. I love the quote from David Platt, pastor of McLean Bible Church. He says this, We want to fix our minds on what is just and right and good for people according to God, not according to our definition of what is right, but according to God's definition of what is right. Let me read that again. We want to fix our minds on what is just and right and good for people according to God, not according to our definition of what is right, but according to God's definition of what is right. 
Sometimes as Christians, we get deceived. We get caught into cultural, you know, banter and narrative. And we, we forget this. We forget this. The second issue that is, that is plaguing our society today is something you can't turn the news on without hearing. You can't turn, go on your social media. That's the idea of racism. Listen to me, church. Racism is sin. Racism is sin. Racism is not new to our fabric of our world. From the beginning of time, there has been racism. Racism is sin, so therefore racism will continue to exist, unfortunately. Why? Because we live in a sin-sick world. And until Jesus comes and makes things new, we are going to have to deal with this. Brothers and sisters, you cannot be deceived by Satan's deception. You can be part of this organization, that organization, when, it, when its total narrative is to hate someone. Whether it's the color of our skin, whether it's the side of the tracks you were raised on, that is sin. Church, we've got to be very, very clear with that. What does God's Word tell us about this? Mark chapter 12 the greatest commandments Jesus gives in Mark 12, verses 30 and 31. He says this, You shall love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I'm shortening up a little bit. The second is to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says there, there's no greater commandment than these. Church, I don't know if we really do a good job with this. We're trying to follow all the rest of the rules and regulations of Christianity. And God just says, love me and love people. Love me and love people. So on Thursday nights, we have a basketball ministry here. And this past Thursday night, I took a picture of the guys. These are the guys that, I, that we play with. We've also ministry on Saturday mornings that plays as well. And during this whole cultural upheaval in the past month with everything that's happened in the country, I said, you know what, I'm going to open up a gym for basketball. We're going to come play. You know what? You see black men. You see Spanish men. You see white men. You see, actually, you don't know, there's a, there's a Mexican. There's a guy from Turkey that's in that picture. You open the doors of these guys, guess what? They know that Faith Bible Church loves them. We didn't talk about race. We didn't talk about those things. It's not important. Church, we need to individually show the love to people. Jesus, very simple verse, John 3, 16, for God so loved the what? The world. He loved humanity that he sent his son, Jesus. We are brothers and sisters in this world of humanity, and we need to live together as one. Amen? We've got to knock this nonsense off in the church, and it's creeping into the church. No, we are under the name of Jesus Christ, and that's all that matters. I love the picture here in Revelation chapter 7. This is John the Revelator given the vision of what he sees in heaven. Look at this. I, I love this picture. Verse 9, chapter 7, verse 9. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number. Just think of it. Mass, mass, a mass number of people that you can't even count. Look what it says next. From every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes. And that idea of clothed in white robes, those individuals who have been saved, who have trusted Christ as their Savior, we are unified under Jesus Christ. And what are they crying with a loud voice? Black, yellow, white, red people standing before God, and here's what we're saying. 
Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Are you ready for that day where you will stand with people from every tribe, every language, and proclaim who our God is? Church, we need to live like that today. Okay, off my soapbox. The last deception we need to think about, and I, I, I want to talk to our Christian young people at church, is this idea of deceiving of marriage and dating. I'm just going to say it real quick because of time. Listen, young people, you can talk to a lot of people that have fallen into this trap. If you are dating someone who doesn't know Jesus, you should not be dating them. Parents, can I get a better amen in that? The families are ruined because of this. There's, there's, there's stuff that happens and people don't understand this. You must, young people, find someone with commonality that loves Jesus. Say, well, I'm going to, no, no, that's, that's, that's not how it works. If things work out, yeah, absolutely. But you should be looking for someone who has the same goals on you spiritually, who loves Jesus, who's going to marry you, take you to church, raise your kids in the church, that is a deception from Satan. There's not a lot of amens. Because that's a hard pill to swallow because our kids have to make a decision. I understand that. But dads, your daughter brings home this wingnut whack job dude that has no Jesus and just is like, you know, is going to take your daughter and who knows what, what, do what with her spiritually. I pity the guy that comes to my house and asks my daughter their hand in marriage. Oh. But parents, it's serious. This is the second most important decision we make a person makes in their life. That was it. Three deceptions. Listen. Identity. It's, it's, it's plaguing our society. Racism, we can read it all over the place. We need to love, love God and love people. Thirdly, young people with dating. Listen. Pick someone who loves Jesus. Okay. Pick someone who loves Jesus. Okay. Let's push play. Let's finish our story out as we close. Morning. Verse 24, Joshua 9, 24. And they answered Joshua, Because it was told to your servants for a certainty that the Lord your God had commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land you before you. So we fear greatly for our lives because of what you did, because you did this thing. See, the nation of Israel was shrewd. I mean, the, the, the Gibeonites were shrewd. But you know what? As we close out our story this morning, I used to read the story and say, man, those Gibeonites, they were just, they were shrewd. They really, they really messed with Israel. But as I studied this, I began to like the Gibeonites. What? Yeah. Because this group of pagans seen the redemption of God. They were people that were to be killed. They lied about it. They deceived the nation of Israel. But they, guess what? They really knew. They knew what God did. And they wanted to be a part of this. If you look at Israel's history, if you, when we fast forward to Judges, we can see the, the, the cities and towns that the Israel did not push out of the land. And, and we can see that they, they coerced them to be part of their worship. And they made Israel be, be, be driven away from God. The Gibeonites were not their people. They actually lived in peace. They helped Israel. They were not a negative influence for Israel. And I want us to see this. 
Our third application this morning as we close. Deception, guess what? When we make bad, bad decisions, God can redeem it. God can redeem it. See, deception awakens our, our pride. It arouses our eyes. But when we fall in this in which every one of us will do, because we're sinners, saved by God's grace, God can redeem. And that's exactly what he did with the Gibeonites here. I want us to look at verse 23 and verse 27 of this chapter. I want you to see where God placed the Gibeonites in the nation of Israel. Look at verse 23. Now, therefore, you are cursed. Okay, and their curses, now they are going to be servants. They will be cutters of wood and drawers of water. Highlight that in your Bible for what? For the house of God. Now, go down to verse 27. But Joshua made them that day cutters of wood and drawers of water. That was their curse. That was their, that was their, their, their punishment for lying to them. They were cutters of wood, drawers of water for congregation and for the altar of the Lord to this day in the place that he should choose. God placed them where they would see the very worship of God. He redeemed them and put them in a place where they would see God's glory. I, I truly believe in reading this with the Gibeonites and reading the history of Israel and this, and this little nation or this town that they truly became followers of God, much just like Ruth, much just like Rahab. We see in Joshua 18, we can, if we can, when we continue to read through Joshua, the priest lived in Gibeon. First Chronicles, guess what? The tabernacle would rest on a hill in Gibeon. And then in Nehemiah, when we read to see about the rebuilding of the temple, the Gibeonites were part of that rebuilding. God can redeem. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad for that this morning? I, I want to close with this verse in Psalms 84. As I studied the story, read the story of the Gibeonites, this verse popped up, and I just said, this is perfect to end our message with this morning. Psalms 84.10, For a day in the courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. The Gibeonites would rather be cutters of wood, be drawers of water, than live in the inhabitants of wickedness. Isn't that a beautiful story of redemption? Yes, Israel, they didn't seek God, but God saw, but put forth grace upon them. And then with the Gibeonites, showed them grace. Put them in the very worship of the nation of Israel worshiping God. Isn't our God great? Isn't he glorious? As Eric was praying, God works things out for his good, for his glory. And we get to sit back and watch this all. Be on guard, brothers and sisters. Satan and his is all around us. Don't let him destroy us. Don't let him destroy you. Stand on God's word. We look at God's word for our answers, and we turn to him. Guess what? God shows us where the deceit is, and how we can draw near to God. What's James say? He will draw near to you. Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil. And what will happen? Safely from us. So let's not be deceived, church. Individually and as a corporate body to continue to walk in this race we call the Christian life. Father, we thank you for this morning. We pray that you would be honored and glorified in all that's said and done today. Thank you for this lesson in Joshua. We thank you, Father, how we can learn that Satan has not given up 
deceiving people until he is thrown into the bottomless pit, but we will continue have to fight Satan, continue to fight him off with your help. So help us as we are seeking you. from it. We ask this your son's precious name. Let's all stand up together and sing the chorus of Yes, I Will. Good afternoon.